Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. The Purdy's have served this valley for decades. Customer service means everything to them. So I don't care whether it's auto, home, life, business insurance, whatever your insurance need may be. They're going to go out and get you the right insurance that fits your needs and do it for the best price. And if there's a claim, they jump in there right away for you because the customer always comes first. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. I'm in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. A wild world series and a game for the ages last night. The Astros win it in 10. Bregman one for four tonight. First pitch. And Alex lines this in the left center field. That's a base hit. Fisher around third and coming home. Ethier up with the baseball. The throw to the plate. Not in time. Astros win. Astros win. Alex Bregman comes through with a walk-off RBI single. And the Astros win 13 to 12 in 10. They lead the World Series three games to two. And the best scenario they could possibly have is that in game six, Justin Verlander's on the mound. If you could have asked A.J. Hinch before the series, what would be your best scenario besides a four-game sweep? It would be to have the World Series in the hand of Justin Verlander. They've got that. So we'll find out uh, what's been a a three-run lead in this series. means nothing. They'll just hit the ball out. Penn State has a lot of outstanding beat writers, and without question, in my opinion, one of them from the Allentown Morning Call is Mark Wogenrich. Mark, it's always a pleasure. Welcome. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate having me. Okay, as you watched it play out on Saturday, what were some of the running thoughts that you had? I think it probably started with, wow, yeah, Ohio State's as good as I thought they might have been. Uh, I, I went there thinking... Ohio State probably had the better roster overall. Um, I think Penn State closed the gap, but I think that was true last year, too. I thought Ohio State probably had the better roster overall. Penn State played better, played a better game, a little more decisive plays. And for Penn State to go into that, you know, into that roster, into that atmosphere, and into a fresh, a fresher Ohio State team, still to put up 38 points, which they've never done at Ohio Stadium before, and come away, you know, a, a point shy, you know, after the game. The question that was kind of getting asked to the Penn State players was, do you think that did, did Ohio State win this game or did Penn State or did Ohio State win the game or did you guys lose the game? And I kind of thought, well, that's necessarily a fair question. I understand it in the immediacy of the game because of what had just happened. But to me, it was I don't think it was there any question that Ohio State won the game. Having you know, giving up the kickoff and some of the penalties and the turnovers early to do what it did in the second half, especially the fourth quarter in both sides of the ball and having control the lines the way they did. That was the, uh, that was the difference to me. And I, it was one of those things I think a lot of people maybe considered going in 
and then it kind of bore out um, on the field, especially in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I felt that three-yard area on both lines uh, of the line of scrimmage, Mark. You just kind of felt on this day Ohio State was better in that area. Yeah, if there were some people had drawn comparisons to the Rose to the Rose Bowl against USC, and the that was true in the way the games kind of paralleled each other in a way. But I always thought if that if the Rose Bowl had gone on ten more minutes, I think Penn State they would have continued trading scores. In this one, if this game had gone on ten more minutes, I think Ohio State might have put up another two or three touchdowns. They were just in a position that they just started to overwhelm Penn State. It really got to the pace, that, that offensive pace, the way that they combine the offensive pace with the execution. When you are completing what 16 in a row that JT Barrett did and then running the pace to combine that, Penn State, that defensive line just looked exhausted. And often, you know, the offensive line, it just, it just struggled with Penn State's, or with, with Ohio State's defensive front. Some of those guys, you know, the, you know, the plays they made, like, I don't even know if they were all, like, the starters who were making some of these plays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to get at the end of, like, uh, like Sam, Hall- Sam Hubbard, such a huge play that he got, he kind of got free. Um, and a big ball, you know, that big kind of, like, sack, yeah. combination sack of, of Saquon and Trace there on the end up at the end. There, I just, I was really impressed with, with that, with that lot, with both lines. And then, by extension, what JT Barrett was able to do with the protection that he had. Well, and that was huge because he was able to make his checks at the line of scrimmage, which was a big factor in this game. Mm-hmm. That's as well as I've seen him play. How did you view JT Barrett? That's as good a fourth quarter. I don't know that I've seen a quarterback, I mean, besides Sam Darnold. Yeah. Really have a fourth quarter like that. He was just on top of when it wasn't the short passing game, really. He started hitting downfield. He started really hitting reads. There was a great, I, I saw on social media yesterday, the great diagram Chip Kelly drew up, um, kind of showing, I think it was the Marcus Baugh touchdown and how that route how that route came about and that they were showing these and I'm, I'm not great with the whole out of the X's and O's machinery in there but they were showing these crosses the shallow kind of crosses and they really got him to bite on on like a linebacker to bite downfield but JT had to stay in he had the pressure but he had to recognize it and then he he got he got you know recognize it and then make the throw he he caught a blitz in the fourth quarter from Jason Committed who was just I think inches from getting there and he stayed in the pocket there and made a really good throw. I think, you know, the run, you know, the way he ran the ball early kind of then blended in the way that he threw the ball in the fourth quarter. And it it, it was really impressive. You know, he had – it was one of the things James Franklin said. If we couldn't get a really get a pass rush on him, we weren't going to be able to cover his receivers because they're just so athletic. They, it, I think that they just ran out – they just ran out of speed. Um, and it's not – to, to, to diminish the way they had played in building uh, the the combinations of leads that they had, but it just kept getting. I think their margin of error kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I thought both teams made a lot of plays. It's just one of those instances where a uh, you know great team made a couple of more than another great team. And the, now you mentioned margin of mm-hmm. error. What did the Ryan Bates and Ryan Buckholtz injuries mean to the margin of error? 
The very first, yeah, the, the first few plays of the game are, you know, on the first few plays of the game, two of the most important things happen. Jake like Barkley takes the kickoff return for a touchdown, um, silencing the crowd, and then off, you know, Ohio State's first defensive play, Penn State loses Ryan Buckholtz. That he's such a big body. I thought he's been playing really well over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think last week was probably the first time I actually interviewed him after a game. Had a really good um, sense of I think where he had been coming along in in the aspects of his defense. So now you're out him. You don't have Brian Buckle to what two seventy. He's going two seventy, two seventy five. He can play some of that inside stuff too. So he's just a big body out there that's going to get you some pass rush. If not, he's going to be a smart guy. You'd be able to hold some of the edges and things like that. You're out him. You're already out Torrance Brown from the Georgia State game. So you're playing your third down defensive end in Shaka Tony, who I know they love as their third down pass rush speed guy. Right. Now he's getting, what, 40, 50 plays in the game, and Sharif right. Miller is playing. I he's, That had to be the most he's ever played in, in a game, you know, play-wise. And you're getting into that area where you just don't have, you know, these guys just aren't equipped yet to handle, I think, the constancy of that offense, this, the way it ran, the, the pace it ran, the execution that it ran, and then also just the the, the power of their offensive line. Buckles, that was a huge loss. Bates, um, I was watching him after his injury. He, he was trying his darn to, to get in there. I know he did come back, but then you're then you're switching your tackles, and I think that opened up some opportunities too. Uh, there were just some plays I did. They got jumped. You know, Ohio State's defensive line was capitalizing on that, and they got stronger and stronger, and they're wheeling out the fresh guys with Bosa and Jalen Holmes and Robert Landers, and you can go on and on. The list is like, incredibly long. Mm-hmm. The, the defensive linemen that they can roll through there. Those are two um, really big ones. To me, I thought I thought the Buckholz one was very big because now you're playing a whole game without him. That was that was that was pretty tough. Yeah, you lose. Uh, the Penn State likes that four defensive end package when it's second yeah. and obvious or third and obvious, and they flip him inside. Mm-hmm. And now you're playing with Matos, Simmons, and Tony that are at this point in their career still situational guys to yeah. now play bulk mm-hmm. minutes. And I, I, I think I caught a play. I went back and when I got home today, I was just watching a little bit of that fourth quarter again, and you could just see those guys. You know, just just burning for ways to get around the corners like Shakatoni and Simmons and stuff and it just it you know they just weren't able to make some of those kind of the edge rush kind of moves they were against a really strong offensive line and then it looked like Ohio State was able to get in some reason and hack maybe certain situations throwing wise that they couldn't handle as well it's a lot of plays I mean it was, you know just an awful lot of plays again for a guy like Sharif Miller to have to hold down on, on that line, and you know, Shaka Tony's probably going to be really good at that in a couple of years, but I can't, that had to be at least double what he's been playing this year um, play-wise, and, and also in stuff that he's just in situations he's probably not accustomed to playing yet. One of the keys is you can't let a team beat you twice, so you can't have the yeah. Ohio State game linger exactly. and get beaten again going to Michigan State. What are your thoughts initially on that game at noon? I remember what... What happened in 2005, and I don't know, it's not a parallel with Michigan State to Illinois, but when that Penn State team lost at Iowa, 
they went out to Illinois and I, what was they dropped sixty three on them. I think it was something like that. And yeah. and Michael Robinson, I you know if you'd have let Michael Robinson stay in that game, he would have put a hundred up there. You know that team came, that team went to Illinois with just breathing fire. There was that was going to be an unstoppable machine in that game, and that, that's a different, that's a completely different ask of what the two thousand five team faced the week after a loss, as opposed to what these guys are going to do. But I think they need to go there. Um, breathing fire. They need to go to Michigan State. Um, vulnerable looks like you know maybe again another uh, fairly good defense, but not a great offense. I think their athletes are going to be better for Penn State in this game. But for they're not just for um, what's now going to come. And, you know, as they say, a style point competition. They're really going to be at their degree of difficulty on their jumps and twirls is going to have to be much higher in their last four games to kind of create an impression for the college football playoff committee. But beyond that, I think for their state of mind, I don't think that this group lacks confidence at all, but I think probably for their state of mind, they are gonna they need to go in there and play the kind of game that, that can produce them a two-touchdown, three-touchdown victory. That, I think that kind of edge is what's really going to be important to them. Mark, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. You always do great much. work, appreciate and it, uh, yeah, we please. appreciate it very much. Yep. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Mark Walkerich, Allentown Morning Call. We'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance on News Radio 1070 WKOK. There are a lot of places to get insurance coverage, but only one place in the Susquehanna Valley ready to put four generations of experience to work for you. Hi, I'm Adam Purdy. At Purdy Insurance, we take the time to talk with you and find the right coverage for your needs. Everyone's situation is unique, so our approach is to customize coverage to best protect you. Whether it's home, auto, or business insurance solutions you need, call, email, or stop in to see how our commitment to personal service can help protect what matters to you. If you want to have a fun day, you have to drive a Hyundai. Sunbury Motors Hyundai is putting other import brands on high alert with their drastic new Hyundai reductions. While other dealers have 2017 accents for $17,140, Sunbury Motors Hyundai has accents starting at $12,890. Compare a Toyota Camry with a 2017 Sonata for $18,965. And you decide which is the better value. All new Hyundais come with America's best warranty, a 10-year, 100 thousand mile powertrain warranty. Sunbury Motors has 13 Hyundai Tucson starting at 23143. Save up to 4949 on a 2017 Hyundai Santa Fe Sport. Santa Fe Sport start at 25766. If you want to have a fun day, you have to drive a Hyundai. Brand new Elantra start at 16680. With these prices, Sunbury Motors Hyundai is putting other import brands on high alert. SMC Hyundai in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza Sunbury. Accent Sedan and Santa Fe models for SMC motor vehicles. First college football playoff uh, snapshot comes out tomorrow, but it's only a snapshot. Uh, This is not the way it used to be. Uh, It's not as if, okay, let's just pick a number. Say you're ranked 10th. All right, you're ranked 10th. And suddenly, you know, and you keep winning. Uh, suddenly, number four and number six lose. And now you're eighth. And number five and number seven lose. Okay, well, now you're number six. And now all of a sudden, number two and number four lose. Now you're number four. It's not how this works. They do a snapshot every week based on 
your body of work to that point without anticipating what you're doing down the stretch. So this isn't about positioning or anything like that. I don't worry about positioning. Uh, because you're going to have Miami has to play Notre Dame. Clemson, in all likelihood, is going to have to play Miami. Let's in anticipating. Alabama's going to have to play Georgia. Uh, Wisconsin's going to have to play. At this moment, it would look like Ohio State. Well, half those teams are going to lose. So you need to treat each one of the next four weeks as if you were playing a four-game playoff to get to the national football, the, the college football playoff. And that's how it has to be treated. And this is where the approach that James Franklin uses all the time that occasionally gets ridiculed. It gets ridiculed with, oh, yeah, you got Georgia State this week. Come on, the opener next week's at Iowa. Come on, your approach. But this is where it pays off. It's supposed to pay off by being stringent about it as to how you do it every single week so that when you get to a week like this, there is a payoff to it because you have taken that approach every week for years. So there's nothing different about it with your players. There's nothing different about it with your staff. There's nothing, you know, in other words, you know, everybody knows you're up and ready to play at a game at Ohio State. Everybody knows that. Where the approach pays off, and I pointed this out last year, after Penn State beat Ohio State, I said the one thing you don't want to do is then lay an egg at Purdue. That's where the approach comes in. I mentioned that is actually where the approach, the approach doesn't come in when you play Ohio State. That's not where it comes into play. It comes into play after you've won a big game and your approach stays the same, and so you take the next one seriously and you don't get tripped up. Or in this case, you lose a big game, approach stays the same, and you don't make it two losses in a row and get tripped up. That's where the approach comes in. That's the value of it. That's why I always enjoy you know, seeing or reading ridicule of the pro. Oh, come on, they're playing Georgia State. Jeez, you're playing Akron. You get Pitt next week. Pitt, Pitt. All right. Okay, that's not why you do it. You do it so you don't get tripped up after you beat an Ohio State. The approach comes in that you don't get tripped up after you lose at an Ohio State. That's where that's where the value of it is. You got to be able to see the big picture, not just be so you know. It's just Georgia State. Come on, you know, don't give me this one and zero stuff. You got to be thinking about Iowa. No, you don't. And I've told people. I said, look, I can only get ready for one game. I can only get ready for one game. And I'm not doing the Nebraska game this week. I'm doing the Michigan State game this week. It's the only game I got ready for. So just in my job which is insignificant to the winning and losing, I still have to take that approach. Because on the broadcast, I don't want to lay an egg. And I have nothing to do with winning or losing. But you have to take that. Unless you're really involved in game preparation or anything like that, I can understand as a fan, as a fan you can afford to feel any way you wish. 
you know, there's nothing at stake for you except, you know, hey, come on, you got to make sure you're ready, you know. I understand that. They, they've got to be able to put together a formula, which they have, that works for them. They're 16-2 and two their last 18 games as they've used it. And those two road losses are by a total of four points to top six teams. But Ohio State was really good up front on both sides of the ball. Their offensive line played really well. Their defensive line played really well. In the end, in a game where there was a very small margin of error for both teams, I felt that was the swing factor in the game. That's the part of the game where they were better. A little bit older in some areas compared to what Penn State has on its offensive line. There you're going redshirt sophomore, redshirt sophomore, redshirt freshman, sophomore. And, of course, a senior in, in Brendan Mann. It, it was a difference. There's no question. On both sides, the Ohio State offensive line protected Barrett really well, picked up blitzes. And Barrett, as the senior at the line of scrimmage, able to make the checks he needed to because he had the serenity to do it. And that, that is a big difference in a game like that. Now you got Michigan State. Chris Soleri is going to join us on the show Wednesday. Looking forward to that. We've got Matt Leon today to talk about the Eagles, who are now 7-1. Can't believe the Eagles beat the juggernaut 49ers. Imagine you're Kyle Shanahan. Last year, every day you woke up during the season, and Matt Ryan was your quarterback. Now he's a head coach, making more money, and he wakes up every day, and C.J. Beathard is his quarterback. Yeah. Reminds me of that late 90s rap classic, Mo Money, Mo Problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's on exactly. your playlist, on your phone. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> I shouldn't have let you see my phone. Sorry. <laughs> Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business insurance. The Purdy's will find you the right insurance, exactly the coverage you need for the price that fits your budget. And if there's a claim, they jump right in there. They are your partner. It's so important to have a great insurance agency. Really important. You want to be covered. Purdy Insurance, they're the ones to go to without question. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. I'm in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports bozo of the day. You got to give the NFL credit every single week. Every week without exception. They do something else that ends up on the negative side of the ledger. It's interesting, at the owners' meeting, that was the big complaint about Roger Goodell. How do you keep running a business where every week there's something bad? The World Series crushed a Steelers game last night. 
not just any Sunday night game, the Steelers, as national a brand as you're ever going to see. Ever. I mean, Cowboys, Steelers, Patriots, those are the national brands where it just, I mean, the Steelers go on the road, they go to Dallas, there are more Steeler fans there. They go to Los Angeles, Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, anywhere they go, Detroit last night, there are more Steeler fans there than there are for the home team. That's how national a brand they are. And the World Series beat it out last night. Now, they're playing for the World Championship of Baseball, so you would think the World Series should, but that has not been the case until the last two years. The last two years, the World Series has beaten out Sunday Night Football when they've gone head-to-head. The NFL has some big problems right now. Big problems. And they don't act as if they know how to solve the problems. They can meet all they want till the cows come home, but they've got to get some direction and get themselves back on track. Because guess what? If the fans aren't buying what you're selling, it doesn't matter what you're selling or what your position in life happens to be. Because guess what? People can say, nah, I don't want to watch that. And the brand of football isn't great. Okay, we're here the day after Seattle beat Houston. It was really an exciting game, right? That was an exciting game between Houston and Seattle. Terrific game. But what were people talking about? They were not talking about how terrific the game was. They were talking about the Texans and their protest against their owner and how many knelt for the national anthem in Seattle. Nobody talked about the game. The NFL, as a business, needs you to talk about the game. But that's not what's dominating the news. I'm not making a stand pro or con here as to how players should handle things, but from a business point of view, that was a great game that you would think would be a conversation dominator today. Instead... The conversation dominators would be, that World Series game was something else last night. That was incredible. Oh, yeah, the NFL had more problems again this weekend. Right? Am I wrong here, Sean? I mean, I'll, I'm I'll about, tell you what, a lot of times I'm not, I will. I'm not, I'm not taking positions here. I'm saying what are the conversation dominators? The conversation dominator is, well, the NFL had more problems this weekend. Yeah, I'll admit, while, while I'm watching the Steelers, I'll be on my Twitter account just to kind of get reaction from people that are actually there in the stadium. But I will admit, last night I saw so many people on my timeline uh, just comp- just complimenting how amazing they've never seen a one-hour stretch of baseball that great in their entire lives. When you went from a shutout on one end to, what, what was it, 7 to 7 at about 10 o'clock last night? Oh, oh, yeah. And they were just getting warmed up. Well, a three-run lead in the World Series means nothing. <laughs> we're two walks and a home run away from tying. And that's wonderful for baseball. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just been exciting, plus the fans have been engaged and into it, so it sounds really good on TV. The NFL... I mean, have you seen the pictures of what the seats look like at the opening kickoff? Lots and lots of empty seats at the opening kickoffs. A lot of empty seats at opening kickoffs. The indestructible, seemingly indestructible NFL has got a problem. 
And now there's some rumors going around that in 2021, maybe ESPN doesn't try to go after Monday Night Football. They paid the $350 million to retain the rights to NFL video property, which is part of the $1.9 billion they pay. But may because they've oversaturated Thursday. Thursday they're putting games on Thursdays. Then you got three games, three windows on Sunday, and then you got Monday Night Football. There's not enough quality in the league to go around to have that many windows. There just isn't. So they're not putting out a great product at the moment, and part of and and and. Obviously, they've got off-the-field issues that dominate even when they have great games. That's a big problem from a business point of view, just from a business point of view. I mean, people can do whatever they want, but remember, freedom of speech works both ways. Okay, It is not a one-way street, despite the way it's being portrayed right now. Freedom of speech works both ways. You are entitled to give your opinion on anything you want. Absolutely entitled. But remember that the people you're telling your opinion to also have the uh, right to say, okay, fine, I'm not going. (laughs) They have that right. Whether you're you're right or wrong, they've got that right. They They have a right to hear you say it or read it, and they have the right to put a thumbs up or reject it. <laughs> NFL's got, because got some, they have a lot of problems right now, and they can't seem to get a handle on how to solve it. All right, let's bring in Matt Leon now, who saw the scintillating Eagles 49ers game. That was scintillating. Good to be with you. Yeah, the Niners were, uh, they were not good. Not good at all. <laughs> you know what? But doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. It counts as a win. It doesn't matter. Oh, no, and then they did that. You know, I mean, they've been a little slow getting started offensively, but they never, you never felt like they were in any danger in that game, and they took care of business and on to the next one. Yeah, on to the next one indeed. But, you know, I noticed though in that game, for example, let's take Alshon Jeffrey. He's been expected to be a guy that would step up and make – the difficult catch and make some plays for them. Well, he made some, a couple difficult ones yesterday, which made a big difference. Yeah, and those were really specifically that touchdown. Oh, that's yeah. really the first go and get it ball yeah. in a big spot like that that he's won and and taken to the house. I think uh, he's the one. I don't want to say he he hasn't been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's amazing with what Carson Wentz has done this year. You never have really gotten the feeling that he and Jeffrey have been able to to develop anywhere close to the chemistry that he seems to have with Ertz or even to have with Nelson Aguilar. Uh, you know, they they you can see they run some stuff to try specifically to play to Jeffrey's strengths, and it just hasn't been it hasn't been terrible, but it hasn't been I think what everybody expected. And you hope that maybe uh, that touchdown there that was really classic, all Sean Jeffrey. Uh, maybe we'll we'll help the jump start. And hey, you know it's it's nice when you're complaining that the number one receiver isn't exactly what everybody thought he would be, and you're seven and one, and you know getting ready for the second part of the season. I know it's the 49ers, but did you get a read on the Eagles' ability to replace Peters and the Eagles' ability to replace Hicks? Uh, 
Offensively on the line, they struggled in the first half, and listening to Doug Peterson's uh, presser today, it seems like the Niners did some things in the defensive line as far as some uh, blitzes and stunts that they hadn't shown before, and they caught the Eagles off guard and had a lot of success getting to Wentz early. But it also doesn't sound like uh, it was Vitae that had the trouble. He gave up one sack, but uh, Doug Peterson said he played well, and I think uh, at least here going forward and in the short term, He'll continue to stay at left tackle, and Lane Johnson will stay at right tackle. Um, Jordan Hicks, I think it's really hard to to measure, you know, what his absence meant on yesterday because I think the Niners' defense is much better than 0-8. That offense, though, is exactly what an 0-8 offense looks like with a quarterback like mm-hmm. C.J. Beathard who really struggled getting the ball downfield. So I think uh, there was one – one, actually, I think our first pass play of the game went for like 25 yards right over the middle to the tight end. Uh, in a play that you would assume Jordan Hicks would have had coverage on had he been there. So that was, but overall, I think it's hard to judge because the Niners are are so limited offensively uh, and weren't able to probably take advantage of a Jordan Hicks absence like uh, some other teams are going to be able to do down the down the road. Uh, and you know, it's a, you you figure a guy like Kyle Shanahan. I, I think to me, the Falcons really miss Kyle Shanahan. Uh, but he's gone from having Matt Ryan to having right now C.J. Beathard. That is a that is a bit of a difference. I'm I'm no expert. You tell me. No, I mean they just <laughs> they weren't able to. They the the one touchdown they scored was more on a great play call where they anticipated the Eagles blitz and it was a little shovel pass to the running back that went for I think it was 30 yards and they used the Eagles' aggressiveness against them, but. Uh, I mean, as far as a drop-back game, you know, they they have nothing to speak of. Uh, they can't utilize Pierre Garçon. No. Uh, they they aren't able to get the ball over the top and really, you know, put pressure on a defense. Uh, and, and because of that, team, they can't run the ball because teams just sit and take their chances, you know, playing five yards off the line of scrimmage, and they're not going to let Carlos Hyde beat you. So it's just really – you have to – I said this going into this game to, to some people that – the Eagles would really have to work hard to lose that game yesterday. And when I meant that is they'd have to turn the ball over, not just a couple times. I think they would have had to turn over four or five times with the San Francisco defense scoring a touchdown. Because the San Francisco offense just is not capable of going 80 yards anywhere close to a, a consistent basis. And that's what you saw. They're a team that struggles to put first downs together. But once again, the Eagles took advantage of that. Never, you know. Even though it was only three nothing until halfway through the second quarter, you never got that uh oh feeling that sometimes you get in games like that. Uh, the Eagles, uh, you know, put it away with uh, two quick touchdowns late in the second quarter, and the second half was just a matter of what the final score would end up as. Now they got Denver. Denver, another team that is offensively challenged in a lot of ways. Does this play into the Eagles' wheelhouse? I would think so, especially being at home. Uh, I mean, that Denver defense is really good. I think you could have it. I would not be surprised to see Sunday be something like 14-3, to you know, 17-7, something like that. But, you know, assuming Trevor Simeon stays at quarterback, and I don't know that they have a better option, you know, on the bench. They don't have a Deshaun Watson sitting on the bench waiting uh, to, to get the call. Uh, there's only as much as you look at a skill position group of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders when he's healthy and C.J. Anderson, they just can't. The, the quarterback play is just so subpar right now that they are they struggle yeah. to to do anything offensively. And I think last week watching some of that game against San Diego, you saw a, a Denver defense that's playing like a Denver defense can, but when they don't get any help from the offense and it, it's just three and out, three and out or turnover, turnover. 
you know, it's just hard to, to hold back that storm so long. And eventually you're going to give up a player or two here. And that's what happened against a, a Charger team that I think top to bottom they're, they're better than. But the Chargers have a, a quarterback in Phillip Rivers and the Broncos don't. So I could, you could see, I think this is a much higher caliber team coming into the link on Sunday in Denver. But I, but there is definitely the possibility for the same type of script to a point playing out in this one. All right, Matt, I want to switch gears to the Phillies because Gabe Kapler is going to be the uh, new manager of the Phillies. We've seen Joe Girardi out uh, with, uh, obviously, the uh, the Yankees. We've seen Dusty Baker out with the Nationals. We've seen John Farrell out with the Red Sox. The Red Sox are going to go with Alex Cora, more analytics-driven. The Yankees allegedly are going to go with another manager that's more, quote, analytics-driven. We know Gabe Kapler is a big analytics guy. Pete McCannon at 66 probably would not be. Is this really what the Phillies are going for as an organization? They feel that this is the way to do it. It seems, well, Matt Clintack, the GM, is uh, really, really analytics-driven, and you kind of figured that this was going to be uh, the direction they win. You know, every every time a manager was let go over the last couple of weeks, of course, ever there would be the requisite, you know, could he land in Philadelphia stories and, mm-hmm. you know, discussions on talk radio here. I, I just really never got the feeling that Matt Klintak, you know, because you only get to do this as a GM in most cases once, maybe twice on your own terms, where you get to, to make a managerial hire, really put your stamp on a franchise before uh, your run runs out. Uh, so I was going to be very surprised if they recycled somebody from, uh, you know, one of these guys that was just let go or even another uh, familiar name. Uh, and, you know, Gabe Kapler's a fascinating choice. Uh you know, in a way, I think there, he could end up being kind of the Sam Hinkie of the, of the Phillies. He is that analytics driven and that kind of outside the box thinking that, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because, uh, he is not going to be close to anything the Phillies have had as a manager before. He is young. I mean, he's only 42, played a dozen years and in the big league. So definitely still will have that connection to, current players as far as understanding what they go through but it's going to be fascinating to see how the decisions are made what the decisions are based out of and and stuff like that so uh, this is going to be really really fun to see come together here a a manager like this with a talented young core yeah and he'll be able to relate to the young players which that's a huge plus uh, the going beyond being a manager it's interesting analytics do go back decades he's hitting 333 Okay, that's okay. That's analytics. He's that's he's, he's shooting forty eight percent from the field. That's analytics. He's averaging five point seven yards a carry. That's analytics. So it go. It's just going much much deeper now, much deeper. And as you can see in the World Series, it is determining in some cases decisions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can see decisions that are made well before they come to pass. You know, uh, right. you, you think about what was it? The, I guess it was the ALDS when the Yankees took CC Sabathia out. Right. You know, he was rolling, but he had already thrown X amount of pitches, and it had shown that from pitch X to pitch 90, he's not nearly as effective. Right. So they and they ended up losing the game. Uh, I, I think there's got to be a happy medium. I mean, I'm a guy that uh, I understand the importance of, of analytics and what trends and, and stuff, and having a an idea of, of how people will react in situations. But I also do think there is a feel for a game. Yes. Uh, when a, a, a guy's got it cooking, and 
I've always I've said this for 15 years now when pitchers are taken out after six innings and 70 pitches and they're throwing a shutout and they say, well, you know, they were on a pitch limit. I'm like, why are you doing the other team the great service of taking out a pitcher they blatantly can't hit? I've never understood that. And uh, I think you're going, I'm, you know, I think that's going to get even worse you're going forward, not even Philadelphia, but in general in baseball, because as this analytic base stuff becomes more ingrained you're going to have uh, very very few people that are going to want to go against the curve so it's going to be interesting I- i'm really fascinated to, to, to get the spring training and see what uh this is going to look like playing out here in philadelphia yeah matt always a pleasure appreciate it matt leon kyw in philadelphia expect gabe kapler before the week is out to be the manager of the phillies as we continue today brought to you by purdy insurance on news radio 1070 wkok All right, great to have you with us on the show today. Last night, they did what they always do on Sunday. They did a review in the first half of practice about the corrections they needed after the Ohio State game. And then midway through the practice, they transitioned into some of the base things that they would like to get into the game plan for this week's game with Michigan State. You have to make that transition. You can't let Ohio State beat you twice along the way. And they went through the review like they always do. There was no extended periods or anything like that. They went over on-field review and corrections from Ohio State. Midway through the practice, offense and defense switched over to Michigan State. Then they did their special teams that they wanted to put in for this week against Michigan State. Got today off. Today's big film day for a lot of these guys. Watch a lot of tape. They're a lot, you know, Trace McSorley was already, you know, he was already watching tape Saturday night, for goodness sakes. And if you're wondering how the players were last night, Barkley is as enthusiastic as ever. Nick Scott's as enthusiastic as ever. Say Black, no, I mean, you know, I mean, it's interesting. As I mentioned to Joe Susan, I think this is absolutely right. I think the players recover exponentially faster than the adults do. So I've always been amazed by that. The player, I mean, I think some people think the players linger in this funk and whatever. And I've always had, I always had people ask me, how were the players on the plane on the way back? How quiet was the plane? I said, I'll tell them, I said, the plane's always quiet. And they said, what do you mean? I said, they're exhausted after every game. They just want to eat and sleep, win or lose. You got Michigan State this week. Four games left in the regular season. All four are really big for Penn State. Take care of what you can take care of. Michigan State's next. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.